0: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. Uh, On this episode, I'm talking to Malcolm James about his new book, Sonic Intimacy, Reggae Sound Systems, Jungle Pirate Radio, and Grime YouTube music videos. Uh, So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Dave. Uh, This is a great book. Um, It's kind of slightly depressing, given um, we've not been allowed to kind of go and listen to live music for the past kind of year, 18 months Mm. or so, and reading it, Um, I had a certain element of kind of nostalgia for those uh, experiences, but also, um, and we'll get to this, like the last chapter opens up this possibility of the, I guess the kind of, you know, what might happen in terms of culture and politics as um, live music and and the kind of live events emerge. Mm. I suppose that the place to start with it is is the title, Um, and at the beginning of the book you kind of take apart the title into Sonic Intimacy and Sonic Intimacy. So um, I'm just wondering if you could kind of talk me through uh, those two key terms and then this idea of sonic intimacy.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, thanks. I I mean, just to kind of pick up on the first point, I think it is interesting to kind of write a book on sonic intimacy just at the moment in which kind of important kind of sites for kind of um, intimate engagements with um, the sonic are kind of taken away and to think about, the importance of what it is in its absence actually maybe helps us think about it what it is at least in its live kind of manifestation so it's interesting to to open up with that i think um yeah so um so so sonic let's just start with the sonic so i'm interested in sound i was interested in kind of principally what people are talking about when they say that something has a vibe or something has hype do you know what i mean that kind of the talking about there about the kind of reggae sound system um, you know, um, or 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 jungle pie radio, but you can say you know people had these kind of similar terms for um, jazz, for soul music, and these things. So, what, what do these things mean? They're not really kind of purely musical, obviously. they they're something that kind of flows between um, the sound, the social, and the technology. And so that is the way in which I'm conceiving um, uh, of sonic, and the sonic is then something that's obviously kind of relational, and that's kind of how I how I frame it. Intimacy, because it struck me that lots of these things were actually about our intimate relationships to sound and to each other and to technology. So when you're talking about the vibe of the reggae sound system, you're talking about your intimate relationship to the sound that's coming out of the speakers, your intimate relationship to each other, your intimate relationship to the social, to the knowledge systems that are moving around, um, moving around um, the Black Atlantic, let's say. Um, but are kind of there in the Bristol dance, in the Toxteth dance, in the kind of, in the the West End dance. So um, intimacy then isn't kind of, the, the, the strands of kind of intimacy I'm talking about aren't about kind of romantic intimacy. It's not the kind of, that kind of literature which is about love. Although the literature about love is actually all about intimacy too in a different kind of way. But it's about kind of presence, it's about proximity. It's about the kind of wholeness we feel in the intimate relationship that goes beyond you. That can be between two people who love each other, but it can also be your relationship in the sound culture, in the dance, listening to pirate radio. And then in that always this question of depth, that there's a depth or intimacy has always something about depth. So that's how I'm talking about intimacy. So Sonic Intimacy is about our kind of sonic and intimate relationships in a kind of social and political context and why they matter. And I focus on three moments in the kind of um, Black Atlantic kind of constellations of musics because I feel that they are kind of archetypical to their times, although other people could make um, different arguments about that. And I feel that they're instructive in a story of freedom and alternative cultural political demands that that in which there is something profoundly at stake as we move into the period of kind of modernity that we're in.
0: That last point actually, I guess, is one of the reasons why it's not a kind of music, musicological story. It's not a technological story, you know, alone, but you're quite keen to kind of stress what I guess would be kind of social, political community context for each of these uh, moments. And, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're in, in some ways, you know, They're all very different, uh, but there are these kind of themes that that run through uh, the three. And again, it's interesting to know what what to call them, because, you know, we're not talking about genre here. You know, we're talking as much about, you know, kind of historical political context as Mm. much as we are kind of musical styles or, or musical genres. And I guess the way to get into that is by talking about each of the three case studies Uh, So I wonder if you could kind of introduce um, reggae sound systems partially uh, as a way of kind of introducing the themes you've been talking about, but also uh, I think this is probably the kind of musical moments and maybe the musical kind of style that people might be most familiar with, particularly um, listeners outside of the UK.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm taking each of these moments, I kind of talk about it in slightly different ways. Um, but I think one of the ways in which we could understand is I'm treating each of these moments kind of as a as a conjuncture, so as a kind of set of kind of um, political forces that are coalescing that define a, a moment, if you like, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, we're both kind of cultural studies people and that's a kind of cultural studies approach. It's helpful to do that because it tells you kind of what's what politically, economically, socially culturally it are the kind of um yeah other kind of framing factors of that time but also if, if you map that historically you can see between the three moments how they connect to each other on those different terms not evenly obviously the political might move in slightly different ways to the economic and cultural moves in various different ways but we can see how things progress how things transform over time so the, each one is kind of framed in that way. And so the, um, the, the reggae sound system is framed in the kind of 1970s and 80s with the kind of political context that emerges out of the kind of post-war era and the crisis of capitalism, um, you, know, the kind of, um, you know, the kind of discussions that kind of Stuart Hall wrote about, really. And the place or, and, and within that the kind of um, the, um, the racisms of the time, the class politics of the time, um, the, the kind of really, you know, really extraordinarily kind of belligerent role of the state and the police in kind of um, institutional racism, so under under kind of violence of street level racism, and then the context of black diasporic music and um, and black people in Britain, um, not only from um, Jamaica, but the sound system culture was main was largely a Jamaican culture and the ways in which that sound system culture was kind of built around a community that was quite um, um, around community and kinship structures, really, Um, and so how the sound system then becomes central to the kind of ways in which the community understands itself as a space where people can live, where they can enjoy themselves, um, and where they can imagine their lives in in this kind of like extremely belligerent context of racism and class politics. And so the intimacy of the sound system, its sonics then has a particular kind of meaning, which isn't the same as as Jungle Pirate Radio as we move into the 1990s. Um, But there we have, I mean, kind of most famously talked about the importance of the bass line, the traveling of bass, the kind of wisdoms that the bass told kind of move across the kind of Black Atlantic imagining, enabling people to kind of transport and imagine themselves kind of in different times and different places um, whilst being in the dance at any one moment. Um, So Gilroy has this nice, um, Paul Gilroy has this nice phrase where he says, um, um, you know, the lights go down and the music starts and the bass kicks in and people are able to kind of transport themselves to different places in the diaspora, without kind of losing a sense of where they are, where they are at, who they are in that place, if you know what I mean. Um, And so we have this kind of of transcendental movements and travel that are happening um, in this particular political context, yeah. So that would be the conjuncture of the sound system kind of, in a nutshell.
0: And then, I mean, this, this is like probably the whitest question I'll ever ask, but like, and then what about the vibe? Because um, I, I was interested in how like, you, you talk about things like vibe and hype for uh, Jungle Pirate Radio, almost as kind of like new theoretical interventions. You know, almost, you know, we need a, a, a kind of a an expanded understanding of something like vibe or, or hype to be able to connect this cultural studies reading mm. um, of the music to, and, and as I say, we'll come to this, to a kind of broader... What does it mean for us now in our current context question that the book closes with? So, yeah, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about the vibe?
1: Well, so the vibe's interesting. So in, in lots of kind of literature on, on, on sound systems and interviews with kind of sound system people, they'll say things like, um, you know, the, if, the dance isn't right if the vibe's not, not right. Um, we don't know what it is, but we need to make sure that the vibe is right. The vibe is what's important. I, you know, I can't tell you about the vibe of the reggae dance, I have to take you to the reggae dance, you have to feel the vibe, and there's, so there's something in this which kind of surpasses language, it's something about a kind of structure of feeling, it's something that is kind of effective, it's something that known is known but can't be explained or be written down. And so it exists in this kind of relational space, I think um, is the way I kind of prefer to talk about it. It's not this kind of in-between space of kind of non-meaning. Um, it exists in the relationship between the sound, the technology, and and, and and society, the people, and the wider kind of cultural context of those people. And so that is the vibe, and it's communicated through sound. It's communicated through the intimate, intimacy of those kinds of the the techno social and the sonic in the way i've just explained and through that kind of travels forms of knowledge through that travels kind of forms of wisdom through that travels forms of kind of interpersonal connection diasporic connection travel and movement all these things which are actually about intimacy um but that surpasses our normal tools or maybe kind of some of the more dominant tools which are kind of textual tools or our linguistic tools or our um, you know, our kind of structural tools in understanding exactly the importance of that. And I'm kind of saying in the book that these, the vibe, um, likewise with um, the grime or with the hype, are profoundly important, kind of um, uh, in sociological and cultural studies senses for understanding what is at stake in those moments. And that perhaps through not being attuned <laughs> to just how important they are, we miss something, right? So it is it, it, a common knowledge. It's not an esoteric knowledge. I'm not arguing that sonic intimacy isn't something that's esoteric. It's a common knowledge. If I say to you it had a good vibe, you will know what I meant, right? And, and I'm kind of say, well, what does that mean? And why is that important? And why should we be focusing in on that? Yeah.
0: How does this thinking work in, a, I guess, a very different um, technological context? Because. Um, I mean, much of the kind of sound system um, discussion has an element of kind of physical presence about it. But obviously, pirate radio is almost defined by its kind of lack of physical presence. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting that um, talking about jungle, both, you know, as a kind of musical genre, but also as a moment in time, that mm. we go to um, pirate radio as the kind of almost, you know, the medium rather than, and, and you talk about, this a bit in the book, you know, the kind of crackdown on things like raves and, and mm. parties, and the question of, you know, where do you go then if, you know, there are much kind of stronger legal constraints on your ability to physically be present. Mm. So yeah, how does the kind of the sense of sonic intimacy work when we're dealing with pirate radio as our medium? Yeah,
1: so pirate radio, I think, is is really kind of fascinating. Um, you know, I, I still think when you're in a jungle, in when you're in the jungle kind of um moment the the jungle dance the rave is still the kind of um that's still the kind of congregation it's still i think the kind of most sacred moment if you like in jungle culture everything depends on the ability to rave right but the actual kind of part of that kind of infrastructure that is most in time with the 1990s is the pirate radio the pirate radio um, which is its kind of ethereal body if the congregation is the rave then the ethereal body is that we if you want to talk about it in those terms, the pirate radio. So, so you know, so, so the pirate radio is, is, is first of all, it's an, it's an old technology. The technology in terms of when it comes about in modernity is about the same age as the sound system. Radios and transistors and things like that arrive about the same time as amplifiers and speakers and microphones, you know. So it's a similarly kind of modern technology of the same, um, let's say, kind of early, late modern kind of era. But the repurposing of that technology into something that can move at speed and connect kind of across kind of citywide distances, right, through the use of kind of telephone technologies and call-ins and different kind of feedback and communication systems that actually kind of prefigure what happens on social media as, as a kind of, you know, as a multi-channel way of kind of interacting still a kind of broadcast mechanism mechanism essentially but which people feel that they're heard in in each other and there's a kind of relation that operates at a kind of speed through the technology the early pager and the mobile phone technologies and the radio infrastructure allows which really kind of mirror the speeding up of capitalism in that era which is moving away from the kind of file facts of the yuppie to these kind of early kind of, you know, digital communications technologies that we now know m- much more about. But also it's not just the speeds of the technologies that mirror their kind of moment. It is the kind of, it's, it's the ways in which the, even the talk is fast. The mixing is interrupted. I mean, there's nothing, re- the shows might go on for a long time, but there's never a feeling that you're in a kind of long form kind of moment. You're in a sense of c- continual disruption, continual churn, continual speed, continual hype, which is the feeling of that, this kind of frenetic kind of energy, something kind of, um, you know, that something's kind of had a fire lit underneath it, right? But you don't really know how, that, how long that fire's going to burn or how intense it's going to burn, but you're going to be in that fire kind of thing. And that's really what it was. And that's what's so kind of characteristic about Jungle Radio in relationship to the early 90s moment and the way at which it kind of is kind of in time, even exceeds possibly um, the kind of speed of capitalism at the time. Um, yeah, and and that that's what I'm talking about in terms of hype. Um, yeah, so that's the second. That's the, is that the that's the third chapter, is it? Yeah.
0: I wonder if you just say a bit more, actually, about you know you mentioned the kind of modernity and, and particularly the technological story. Um, I wonder if you just say a bit more about, I guess, the kind of social, political, community context, because um, that is going to be even more important when we're thinking about growing. Mm. So, so in, in what sense? In, uh... So, like, to be blunt about it, like, how bad were the early 90s? In oh, London? right.
1: Oh, yeah, good. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so it was just kind of, so the early 90s were kind of deeply grim, weren't they? So you had, it was the tail end of kind of Thatcherism and all the kind of, you know, very destructive kind of social policies, kind of unemployment, deindustrialization. Um, that were happening in that period. You had a kind of roll on to into the John Major era in which he had be, become characterized by in um satire shows and in kind of the media as being grey, but it felt grey. It felt like a kind of, you know, you know, a fag end of the Tory project where unemployment was still rampant and particularly for kind of um black, Asian and working class people. Um racism was still rife at a street level and kind of institutionally. And there was a sense that there was kind of, you know, it felt like a kind of almost like a, a dead end moment, a nothing moment in, in a kind of general political sense. But you then you had this kind of alternative energies of these same places the kind of, from the kind of porosity of the city. because We have to remember that this is really before kind of Blair, Blair's regeneration bulldozers move in. So in a way, lots of the city's been neglected and it's been abandoned by Thatcher right particularly the kind of inner cities that really have kind of no interest for them and the suburbs though we might say too you know places like kind of romford for example that that they don't really have that much interest in these kind of places politically or economically that changes when blair comes along and the kind of redevelopment as they like to say of the brownfield sites that becomes the filling in of these spaces but in this kind of fag and gray period there's kind of a porosity in the city that allows um or even kind of necessitates that these kind of alternative ways of alternative kind of systems of pleasure and culture and kind of uh, cultural politicality um, emerge, do you know what I mean? And jungle music itself, um, you know, is the kind of latest movement to coalesce around a kind of youthful working class um, black and also kind of multi-ethnic populace. That's channeling kind of musics that come out of reggae and the dub bass line. That's taking elements of kind of, um, that's taking elements of acid house, that's taking elements of hip hop. So, the kind of musics of the kind of party generations previously, the musics of the black working class in a city, the kind of the, the Americana of kind of hip hop that's becoming very popular and very popular in the kind of suburbs. And it's melding this together into a sound that makes sense. To people that tells people something, um, kind of in spite of the kind of um, general doom and gloom that characterises the political landscape in the John Major period, and that's communicating something about who we, who, who people felt that they were then. And the pirate radio has the ability at a kind of citywide level because it's kind of transmitted over, say, 25 kilometres on a kind of powerful transmitter. Wow coming out of London, to transmit to the city, to kind of collect the city, not in a kind of neighborhood by neighborhood scenario, in that this postcode is battling that postcode, but in a kind of sense of a kind of identity, which in London becomes a London identity, a pirate radio identity, where people are calling to each other. And as you drive through London then, um, you encounter a kind of patchwork of radio signals that starts to communicate to people who they are on that kind of territorial level that becomes a kind of unifying force in which people kind of growing up in, um, I don't know, people kind of who are growing up in the Isle of Dogs start to hear kind of the sounds that are coming out of, um, you know, coming out of kind of Dalston or Hackney and that, 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 that kind of that white working class kind of imaginary that had kind of associations, not the imaginary part of it, that the kind of, that the far right had tried to capitalize on Derek Beacon in the Isle of Dogs, right? That political project, you feel that that has to kind of, that kind of political project or, you know, you feel that that has to kind of start to lose impetus as this kind of redefinition of the city as, as as a, as a, as a space of jungle, as the jungle is massive comes into being um yeah so that and that has kind of important political effects i think and
0: grime in, in in some ways is it, it's tricky isn't it because i mean you know we're in a context where there's been a lot of both academic and popular writing about grime um you know there's a kind of a big literature and you know you've contributed to some of this yourself actually and in some ways the grime story has that continuity but just thinking about what you were saying about you know the creation of a Londonness, mm. you know, in some ways, Grime is more to do with postcodes than it is to do with with London. And I wonder the extent to which you know we have to tell partially a technological story, but also again a different political, social, community context. So, how does Grime, I guess, kind of carry on the story of Sonic Intimacy? But where are the, the kind of disjunctures? Distu- distu- where are the differences? Yeah, so. So
1: Grime on Pirate Radio really kind of follows on, as Garage on Pirate Radio did, from the kind of jungle story and lots of the, Not lots of, but some of the kind of, um, you know, formative pre- presences in Grime, um, particularly in the kind of first wave of it, learned their skills um, as, uh, as jungle lyricists, or if they were kind of a bit too young from that, from writing jungle lyrics in their bedrooms before they were performing. I mean, that was like the... There's an artist called Nolay and she kind of is inter- interviewed about that and she said she kind of grew up in a kind of busy household and locked herself in a room and kinda of listened to music and wrote jungle lyrics and then became a kind of probably one of, you know, the kind of most accomplished kind of female um, grime MC. So people learn their trade in that and the, the and the pirate radio is still kind of really, really important in the early stages. The That kind of changes um, with the advent of YouTube, kind of 2008 onwards, that kind of autonomous infrastructure. And we haven't really talked about that so much. I kind of um, pointed to that when I was talking about the porosity of capitalism. The porosity of capitalism, the the sound system, uh, Jungle Pirate Radio and Grime Pirate Radio are kind of part of autonomous networks, economic networks, in which people are kind of generally not really making money, but having enough to live on and existing in a way that's kind of self-sustaining. So the record stores, the pirate radio, the club nights, um, all kind of, in a way, kind of feed each other, aside from what the mainstream radio is doing. And the mainstream radio, Radio 1, you know, KISS or whatever, they're playing catch-up, really, with what's going on in these kind of scenes. As as YouTube comes in, that kind of the effect of YouTube and the kind of popularity of it as a kind of music sharing space, which really kind of far exceeds the peer to peer sharing systems and the kind of posting boards and the fan sites that existed before starts to kind of dissolve that. We, we know that story just doesn't have, we don't have to talk about that just in terms of um, grime. That was a story across the kind of music industry, wasn't it? So it kind of, it, it kind of, it dissolves, it takes away the kind of um, necessity uh, or the kind of importance of these kind of uh, autonomous economic and cultural spaces. Um, that, that kind of has the effect of dismantling to some extent the jungle is massive, right? As people stop to understand themselves as a city-wide space, but start to understand their relationships musically with google analytics so who's listening to me in chicago who's listening to me in in singapore how am i making these things so in a sense the kind of music becomes kind of radically deterritorialized, but not in a way that people can easily read each other right because it's very difficult to understand the social and political context of somebody in toronto listening to your music when you're making it in london so you start to make it in kind of certain kinds of genres that you think will kind of work, and I think at the same time, then that kind of reinforces a sense of locality too. In which the other version of that is you're making music that's specifically local and does reference kind of people you know or kind of battles you're in, and that that part of it, the kind of postcode culture of it, is a continuation of a kind of of a of a of a longer history of neighbourhood rivalries in cities in which for kind of, you know, throughout kind of industrial modernity, people have kind of held kind of neighbourhood rivalries and this kind of then re-emerges as postcodes as the technology which disrupted it is kind of superseded by by, by YouTube. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's funny to think and talk about grime as a <coughs> historical <coughs> moment, you know, um, and obviously you know it's quite depressing to think about when you're talking about things that were happening 10 years ago as actually being 10 years ago rather than being you know about six months ago or, or whatever but i'm interested in i guess a kind of historical cultural studies reading of these mm. three moments what does it mean for us now uh, and one of the things that the book does all the way through the book and, and i've referenced a couple of times is, is to try and think about what Sonic Intimacy, both as a book, but also maybe as an intellectual project, means for doing cultural studies now, but also kind of broadly um, cultural political struggles. So, where, where do these kind of case studies fit in with the current political cultural moment? Yeah. So, so, so
1: what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to I'm trying to argue I, I, it's not meant to be, and from the kind of outset, it kind of says this. It's not meant to be a book in which I'm kind of charting the kind of decline or capture of everything alternative and worthwhile into a kind of, you know, a kind of technological kind of assemblage that is um, basically sapping of, of our kind of human freedoms. I'm trying to kind of say that if we look through this history, and I think it's actually kind of maybe kind of almost kind of best thought about as a kind of historical cultural project as well, I agree with that, if we look through these histories we see the kind of alternatives to dominance in different ways that existed in these sound cultures in some of the ways we mapped out before and we see kind of what the transformations are we can identify then why they mattered as alternatives rather than just kind of taking them for granted we I've tried to kind of um analyze and evaluate why they why they mattered in particular times what kind of forms of mutuality for example did they sustain in a moment of kind of um, individualization and kind of alienation that, that mattered, that provided something important, political, um, in a kind of, in a, you know, in a kind of, uh, in a kind of, when, when we're talking, uh, um, for a kind of project of, I guess, a kind of post-colonial humanism, which would be the kind of ethical framing for the book in a sense. So, 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 so I'm trying to say, as we move kind of, into kind of um, Grime YouTube music videos, and lots of these things are still in play we still have a kind of sense of a kind of, we still have a kind of definitely a organic kind of knowledge structure that flows through these musics. We still have a kind of sense of um, commitment to kind of the openness and mutuality of the music and the culture that kind of persists in um, you know working class cultures and black diasporic cultures um, generally. But we also have something at stake when the sonic is captured by the visual and the kinds of movements and the kinds of possibilities that are allowed by the sonic, by virtue of it being primarily um, within sound as part of a sound culture, they no longer become possible once that sound culture becomes visual, right? And once the kind of, and I'm thinking kind of primarily one of the ways we can think about is the way that sound can exceed visual racial designations, right? Um, But also as that sound culture becomes owned, becomes the property, becomes the control of people like YouTube that's run through their algorithms, etc., etc. You lose the autonomous, uh, it, the autonomous, um, economic and political organisation of it in that sense, and that matters too. And so I'm kind of, I'm just trying to make a kind of as accurate as I can assessment of where we're at in that situation. Um, I don't. It's not to say that I think that's where. Um, I don't think that's the story of all YouTube culture. I don't think it's even the story of all um, alternative political culture. There are many different places in our society where we can map different kind of stories and versions of that. But I think if we take um, the black diasporic and the sonic as a very important vector in which to understand the alternative politics of modernity, then this is one kind of transformation that we should observe and be mindful of.
0: In terms of future projects, is there a, I'd I'd hesitate to say a kind of a sequel to Sonic Intimacy, but, you know, thinking through that framework, you know, you mentioned you can apply it to uh, lots of actually other, um, both, you know, musical, but actually more general kind of cultural, um, historical moments, um, or are you going to be working on something completely different?
1: Yeah, so, (laughs) thank you for asking that. Um, Yeah, so I, I... Yeah, so I'm not going to write another book on, um, I'm not going to do the kind of follow-up for, you know, drill or anything like that. There are people working on drill that I think have really interesting things to say, and I'm kind of interested in what they have to say, for example. But I, I am interested more broadly then, as you're saying. So the next kind of project I'm interested in, I'm kind of starting at the moment, is a kind of more broader situation of the um, presence of alternative cultural politics in society through modernity in a similar way to I've done it and what's at stake in those, uh, you know, drawing on kind of different different strands and what they mean and where they're going. Um, and so that's one thing that I'm currently working on. And the other thing I'm currently working on is, is taking this story. So I'm doing an edited collection with um, Michael Bull, but we're trying to take this we're trying to understand these things now on a, a more planetary level. So my book's very much about the UK as it UK, um, you know, black diasporic kind of dance music's in the UK as they, um, connect to the rest of the world as, as that, as diaspora kind of implies, but we're actually looking in a kind of planetary sense. So we're looking at kind of how, um, you know, how South Korea, um, or, you know, South India, um, Cases from South Korea, South India, um, different cases from Latin America, different cases from Europe, different cases you know, cases from kind of the Middle East, North Africa, West Africa. How we can kind of understand um, sound culture and diasporic sound cultures in this political context I've been outlining. Um, and so that's that's another thing I'm doing. So two things. One is the general kind of um, alternative political culture project. And the other thing is this kind of um, uh, we're calling it the conviviality of um, of, um contemporary diasporic sound. Uh, Yeah, Dissonant loves the editor collection it will be called, I think.